On this episode of Behind the Headlines, is this season of the Lions like 1957? Or, you know, I'll just let you enjoy the conversation. And here we go, Lions Talk, or at least the first Lions Talk of the year. Benjamin Raven, Kyle Mikey are joining us, and we are going to be talking about this season. What do they see? What should they be seeing? And what can you expect? My co-host, as always, the man who loves himself a good Lions conspiracy theory, the one, the only, Vice President of Content at MLive, John Heiner. How are you, my friend? Thank you, Eric, for that wonderful introduction. I am doing well, thank you. Um, another great hot summer day in Michigan, and I'm just sitting here sipping my Kool-Aid. <laughs> ah, this is a special brand of Kool-Aid. It's August, so this is Lions Training Camp Kool-Aid. And uh, Hope Springs Eternal, uh, some dude, we'll talk about this, but some dude just put $1,000 on the Lions to win Super Bowl. So uh, there is somebody out there who's got more hope than even I do. Uh, but join, joining us today... On the Behind the Headlines podcast is our, our lead Lions writer, Kyle Mikey. Kyle, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here, John. And I'd just like to note, he not only put $1,000 on the Lions to win the Super Bowl, he put an additional $1,000 on them to make the Super Bowl and another 1000 on them to win the NFC North, which has never happened since it became the NFC North. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of Kool-Aid sipping going on around uh, Metro Detroit. <laughs> And Alliance, another one of our great Lions reporters, uh, uh, Ben Raven. Welcome to Behind the Headlines, Ben. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah, that might be the weakest hedge of a bet I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I got to tell you, uh, no cheering in the press box. I get that. But as a lifelong Lions fan, Kyle's heard me. Be, I've cornered Kyle in the office yeah. before. And told them all my conspiracy theories, but I was born in 1960. You know that nothing really has happened since 1960. I mean, uh, 1991, you know, I remember uh, they ran roughshod over Dallas and won a playoff game. But I think that was the anomaly. You know, that's like the, the exception that proves the rule because there's nothing. Uh, the highlights uh, for the Lions uh, have not been stellar in my lifetime. But but anyways, our old colleague, Bill Emko, if you're out there, Bill, how you doing? But <laughs> every time this time of year, I almost want to dedicate the show to him because this time of year he'd come back to the office and he'd be all stoked. He'd say, no, it's, no, they're catching the passes in practice. The arm strength's amazing. <laughs> they're really the O line looks great. And then, you know, you know, the rest of the story. So anyways, you know, Kyle and Ben, I mean, you're here. To keep it real for people. But at the same time, we have a brand new regime. Um, Dan Campbell, I mean, the front office and everything the, up to the Sheila uh, Hamp Ford, but it's, it's kind of a new look. So let's just start at the beginning um, without even thinking about the dude who bet a thousand and what his chances are. Let's just talk about organizationally. We know what's new and what's different. You're out on the ground now in person again. What are you seeing? Well, I, I think it'd be easier to talk about what's not new. And I, I don't mean that as hyperbole at all. I mean, it's uh, top down. You mentioned Sheila Fordham. I think she just marked her 12th month or 13th month uh, as the owner, which is, you know, not that long. And just in that period of time, she's turned over, you know, uh, dang near every uh, position of note besides team president. It was new general manager, new head coach, um, almost an entirely new staff. They kept Hank Bailey around to coach the offensive line. He's done a really nice job, but uh, new quarterback, which we have not seen around Detroit since 2009. Um, you know, the most significant 
uh, positions in, in the game. They're always head coach, general manager, and quarterback, and the Lions have new faces in all those positions. And, um, you know, I've been around long enough. This is my fourth head coach covering Detroit. This is my ninth training camp. So I've been around long enough to see something new and hear all of the coach speak, if you will, about things being new and new way of doing business and culture changes. That's a big buzzword in the in the NFL. But I don't remember a more substantial culture change in my time covering the team. I know Matt Patricia attempted it, um, but I think he left more in place, including Matthew Stafford, than, the, than this new staff has. And it was badly needed, John. Um, you know, I cannot, I cannot underscore the point enough that just how badly players were feeling. You know, um, the last three years in general, the, the, the first training camp, I, I've never seen the locker room leak like it did in training camp uh, in 2018 when Patricia took the job and players were upset with how difficult practices were every day and some of the nonsense, uh, nonsensical rule changes. And he was going at star players over dumb stuff like social media and so forth. Um, you know, th this year, you know, um, it, it's a good vibe. And I don't know how many games they'll win. I don't think they're that concerned about it. If they were telling you the truth that this is a multi-year deal they're doing. Um, and they still need, I think, a quarterback at some point and other pieces like that. Um, but you also see the real culture change happening. It's taking root. Players feel good. They're happy to go into work. They're happy to play for Dan Campbell and not just Dan Campbell, but the assistants he's hired to support and Deuce Staley and uh, a bunch of other guys that are getting really high, re uh, you know, re regards from the players. You know, Aaron Glenn has um, a lot of credibility with the players. You know, these guys playing as much as they have uh, in their careers in the NFL, I think, has given them credibility that Matt Patricia didn't always have when he comes in as a guy who never played in the league and always understand what it's like to be a player in the league, would run them into the ground five straight days in training camp. Uh, that upset the players. And then this year you have two days of pads and Dan Campbell's like, hey, we're going to like downscale our Thursday practice to a walkthrough because the guys are a little beat up and a little tired. Players see that. They hear that. They're happy. Um, there's a, a new way of doing business business in Detroit and it's impossible not to walk into Allen Park and feel it. Ben, how do, when you walk into work there for your job, uh, how's it how's it manifested in that atmosphere in the field, the playing field, in the building itself, in your interactions with with Lions personnel? You know, it was said the other day, Dan Campbell, like, literally gave us information that somebody had a grade one hamstring strain. Like, oh. we all looked we all looked around at each other like, did he just say that? Grade one? We're looking at around each other, like, blown out of our minds. Like, he just said grade one. And then he goes on to say contusion, like, nine times. Like, giving us information we're not even asking about. You know, there's no more little transparent games, you know, in that department and stuff. And, I mean, and like what Kyle's saying, I mean, the players, I mean, I've heard the word more – I've heard the word fun more times in the last week than I did in my first two years on the beat. I mean, these guys feel like they can be themselves out there. There's Tracy Walker and there's Jeff Okuda who just look like refreshed souls on the practice field. And I mean, even before they put the pads on, you could tell that these guys felt more comfortable being themselves. I mean, they're more vocal. They're more, it's just, there's screaming going on. There's celebrating going on. There's, it's just fascinating. I mean, it's a completely new vibe. It's a new world out there. And like Kyle said, what's not new? And then you throw on the complete new atmosphere, the players-minded coach, the players-minded staff, and just the encouragement to be yourself, to be a personality. If you were a personality that was outspoken in the previous regime, there's a good chance you were getting cut or traded, it seemed like. So that's a new world. Well, Campbell comes in, and of course, all the attention was like his first press conference. He's over the top enthusiasm. It's like WWE type, <laughs> you know, hype going on with this guy. 
a how much of that is is real and but how much of that is kind of blown out of proportion because it's really a it, it, kyle you've told me this many times this is a league based on performance right what is Campbell's credentials? What's his cred with the players? And, you know, what you see so far, you know, is this, was that a good pick? And I mean, culturally, it sounds, yes, that they needed a culture change. But football wise, you know, what can we expect from that? Well, that that John is, is one of the big questions with Dan Campbell, because you can already see the personality. And you referenced the opening press conference. Um, that is who he is. Uh, but I, like, it's not to say that he's a WWE guy every day. He goes into work. Although he does have those flashes of, you know, where he shows his character. But um, I think nationally, the kneecap thing got, got kind of blown up and maybe even blown out of proportion a little bit. I think people took that as, you know, because he's talking in these terms about eating kneecaps and so forth, that he doesn't know football, that he's just a football guy, which is kind of a derogatory term in the game. As somebody who doesn't really know X's and O's, it's more about personality. Um, but, like, that's just a 25-minute press conference. Um, you know, he knows a lot more about football than he let on in that uh, first press conference. Uh, and we were seeing that unfold. And he's put some good X's and O's guys in place. Aaron Glenn, Aubrey Pleasant, who's just the defensive backs coach, but he is very high regard for what he did with the Rams defensive backs. I mean, he had some really good players there. Guys got way better with him. And, um, you know, I think players like Tracy Walker, Will Harris, uh, Jeff Okuda, I can tell you with certainty that these defensive backs in Detroit, they see that. They know these guys track records. They go on the practice field. They see these guys making them better. That's credibility. Um, we have yet to see schemes in action, you know, and that goes some, those are some of the big questions because Campbell very famously uh, has not been a coordinator. He's never called plays. He's not going to call plays this uh, this year either. That's pretty rare for an NFL head coach not to have coordinator experience. It doesn't have to be uh, a negative thing necessarily, but you just don't typically see it. And so that is a question mark. But what is a Dan Campbell team going to look like given that he's never actually orchestrated a game in that kind of way. Um, you know, it's premature. We're only to, in week two right now. We haven't even seen a preseason game yet. It's still kind of in the infancy stages of the installation. So we'll see. Uh, the offense could be a little, like, uh, maybe a little boring this year just based on what we've seen so far. It's been a lot of, you know, dinking and dunking in practice, not a lot of deep balls. But what they hope is to build a really solid running game. Uh, it's going to make defenses play in the box more, and then you can go over the top. Uh, that remains to be seen, though. We have not seen them go to the top very much. Defensively is where I think Ben would agree is where we've seen the biggest gains. There, there's been, I mean, it was just a, it was just a mess in previous years. We saw it on the field. You don't allow the second most points in NFL history by accident. It was a mess from start to start, from uh, from start to finish. Um, we are seeing some competency on the field. We are seeing some pass rush. We are seeing better coverage. Jeff Okuda looks like a totally different player. Um, uh, to your point. To your question, John, you know, we'll see what happens with Dan Campbell, but I think there's a lot to like at this point uh, in the early stages. Ben, when you're looking at the field, um, you know, we talked about just the upbeat attitude and the energy and stuff like that. Um, but also, this is the time of year where everybody looks great, right? Um, it when is it, when the odd, ma odd makers say that you're going to lose all at 17 games, um, they they tend to know things about, about football. <laughs> um, you know, I know it's early, but what's your assessment of what, you know, not just their attitude on the field, but the athleticism? Are we upgraded uh, in most places? Or I know we're not at quarterback. I'm just going to be, be honest about that. There were, you had a post the other – was it you, Kyle, had the post the other day about, you know, in, in one – 
play, the difference between Stafford and Goff. And they ran a play and one guy cut off short and the other guy was going along. He had the guy long open and he, he under through the short guy. <laughs> it was like kind of a mindset, but, but athletically, you know, is there enough yet, Ben, that you could see from sitting in camp and watching that you see upgraded? I mean, you look to the defensive line and it sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's really it's really hard to gauge offensive line and defensive line play through eight days of practices, three days in pads. But, I mean, there's just so much push from the inside. And the Lim McNeil and Levi Alda second-round pick, I mean, these guys are pure athletes. I mean, a Lim looks like a, a, a cannonball and he moves around like a, a center fielder. I mean, it sticks out. Panay Sewell, that guy's a special athlete. I mean – you see him up close and personal, you're like, oh, wow, he's not as big as I thought he was going to be. And then you see him move, and you're like, oh, you are a special athlete. I mean, he had a rep the other day where Julian O'Quara might not have been 100% ready for it because he started screaming the second he started hitting him. He was moving so fast and hard. And, I mean, you just see the juice up there, and that's been a word that's been ingrained in my head. It's like the offensive and defensive line. I mean, it looks like an athletic upgrade. I think DeAndre Swift, his health is going to be an importance. That backfield has a chance to look a lot better. Anthony Lynn calling the shots there, but, I mean, athletically you're seeing the defensive backs they're looser they're flying around the field a lot more they're actually in on the ball I mean Will Harris is making plays on the ball it's still not perfect but it's it's more competent like Kyle said but I think athletically speaking in the trenches I mean the offensive line was the greatest strength last year and it it looks like it's going to be even better this year and one thing just to piggyback off that real quick John one thing the players will tell you um, is they're they're thinking less right I, I, I mean defensively speaking I think the last scheme confused a lot of guys. There's a, a lot put on the plate of players, especially in the in the in the secondary, um, and that causes them to play slower because they're. I mean, they didn't always know what to do. I think Jeff Okuda and Will Harris are two really good examples of that. Tracy Harris, uh, Tracy Walker as well. When you're thinking so much and you don't really know uh, with certainty what you're supposed to be doing, that makes you play slower. And so we're talking about athleticism. I think you're going to see a, a natural upgrade in a lot of guys too. Just that. They have to think less. They're they're playing more naturally, and I think you know the a lot like you know Tracy Walker, uh, Will Harris, and uh, Jeff Okuda have all talked pretty extensively about how much more comfortable they already feel just because they can just go out there and play some play some football, which wasn't always the case previously. Well, I'm not a football expert like you guys, but last year watching, I am a fan. I don't think I ever saw a first rounder look as lost as Jeff Okuda last year. Yeah. Um, on a, on a football field, you know, I mean, obviously Tease Tabor was a second rounder. I mean, he wasn't, he was a little, he was just slow, but Akuda's an athlete, you know, and I, I saw his, his film at Ohio State. I saw him play at Ohio State and he just looked completely lost worse as the season went on, which again, might be coaching, might be the scheme, but he, they also looked like they were thrown to the Sharks. Um, so it's, it's good to hear from you as a fan that, they look like they've got a better, at least a better system or scheme or some support for these guys so they can they can play to their athleticism. Yeah, I, I talked to Dan Campbell one-on-one. Um, I think it was about maybe two or three weeks after he took the job, and Okuda is something we talked about quite a bit. And he made clear like one of his biggest priorities is, was just restoring the confidence of the defense in general. But he singled out Okuda as a guy that, I mean, you saw the, the, the film, John, the guy can play football. He was... Uh, an incredible player at Ohio State, and it's kind of inexplicable that he'd come to Detroit and be just so lost. I mean, he was, you know, the advanced metrics, he was uh, one of the 10 worst corners in the game. He allowed the most yards per per route covered in the game among guys who played more than 200 snaps. I mean, the numbers are pretty ugly. 
so these guys coming in, they know the ability is there, but they're trying to pinpoint what's wrong. And uh, like I said, he, uh, Campbell was very aware of the lack of confidence on defense in general and in a player like Akuda in particular. And his goal was to put a defense and a coaching staff in place that would restore that. And I know that Akuda stuck around Detroit in the offseason. He was among the first players to meet Campbell after he was hired. He was in the building quite a bit. Uh, once Aaron Glenn was officially hired as the, as the defensive coordinator, again, Akuda was in the, in the office in Allen Park, which is pretty rare uh, at that part of the offseason, talking to these guys, putting a plan in place, um, helping him understand you know, the new defense, watching film, breaking down his own film, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I, I love what you said earlier, John, about, you know, everyone looking good in training camp. I, you know, this is my ninth go around and I'm really like trying to avoid the coach speak and trying to really figure out which players are actually playing well and which are not before I write those kinds of stories. And Okuda, to me, to my eye, is unquestionably the most improved player in camp. And I, I don't know how good he'll be. I'm not saying he's going to be go out there and be a Pro Bowl player. Uh, but, you know, the best receiver in camp right now is Tyrell Williams. Tyrell Williams would not have started for last year's team at receiver. Yeah. There's been a big downgrade at that position. So you have to take the Okuda stuff with a grain of salt. But having said that, for a guy who couldn't tie his shoelaces last year, and to go out there this year and to make as many plays as he has, lots of uh, pass breakups, including one um, just today, you know, uh, at camp earlier. Um, it's it's very encouraging, and I think he's he's definitely headed in the right direction. And uh, that's all you can ask of a guy who was as bad as he was last year. Right, um, critical. You know, like you pointed out, the most critical position is quarterback. I, I, I would say for most NFL franchises, that's true. For the Lions, I'm not sure. You had a generational talent, Matthew Stafford. He never sniffed, you know, any hardware. Um, he, he may now, but I, I actually, and we can go to a bar and you guys can argue with me or laugh at me, but Harrington <laughs> was a good quarterback when he was there. I think he was, he, he was unfortunate. He was in some unfortunate circumstances, but his physical skills, I thought he was a good quarterback, not, not Stafford like, but then you get a once in a, like seriously, I mean, once in a franchise kind of quarterback just squandered. And now we have Jared Goff and, you know, I don't think I think is this a case of managing expectations for both the team and fans when he gets comes to Jared Goff? Yeah, yeah, because I think the first thing that fans are going to notice is, oh, Matthew Stafford's not on this team anymore. This is a way different team. I mean, you notice it in practice. You notice it in training camp. That was one of the when I was talking to fans the first day they let fans back in, they were like, well, it sure is weird without Stafford here. And then, I mean, I think that play that Kyle was talking about, I was uh, watching the routes develop and Chris Burke of the athletic and I are watching the two deep routes go expecting it to go there. And all of a sudden we don't see the ball going. It's like five <laughs> yards down the field. It's just like, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. He doesn't, he's, I don't, it's just going to be different. I think it is all about managing expectations because it's going to be a different offense. The team has built their strength in the offensive line. Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator. He's known for rushing attacks, but rushing attacks that play to their strengths and play to the defensive weaknesses. So it'll be, I think it's really about managing expectations. It's not going to be the gaudy stats that Stafford would put up. It's not going to be the crazy pinpoint window throws, sidearm, no looking. There's not going to be things like that. And like you said, I mean, manage the expectations with the receivers too, because Goff had some pretty good receivers and a pretty good offensive coach out in LA. And it wasn't too pretty the last two years. So I think those expectations really do need to be tampered. I mean, yeah, this was a guy that started a Super Bowl. This is a former number one pick. And when he throws a perfect ball, it's pretty to watch. But I mean, I would say definitely tamper those expectations. <laughs> is it possible that this, like last year was like 
please, Stafford, put up 42. You score 14 in the last two minutes of the game. Give us a chance. Maybe Prater will kick a 60-yarder. We'll, we'll sneak away with a victory. Is this going to be a year, like, if the Lions win, it's going to be 16-14? Or, you know, if they win, it's going to be more – well, Lord, they're not going to have an explosive offense, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and the Lions would disagree with me. They're, they're, they're saying, you know, they still think they have the deep ball and that Goff can throw a good deep ball. But the best way I can put this is the Rams traded away. They traded for Matthew Stafford. And to do so, they traded away not just Jared Goff, but two first-round picks and a third-round pick for just Matthew Stafford. Nobody gives away three draft picks, two of which are first-rounders, and their quarterback to acquire a quarterback who's an equitable talent. That's not the case. Matthew Stafford's a better talent. I I get Lions fans uh, emailing me every single time I write this, uh, upset because they want me to give Jerry Goff a chance. He's a winner. He made a bowl, like all this stuff. And I'm (laughs) like, there's a lot of things that go into how good a quarterback is, and especially – how many uh, you know games a quarterback wins, and I'm out at training camp every day. Ben's out there. Uh, you cannot underest- uh, underestimate, underscore the uh, you know the drop off in talent at that position. Matthew Stafford was con- you know consistent. He could hit all of his receivers at every depth of the field. That simply has not been the case with Jared Goff. You know he his mechanics are good. He throws a pretty ball and he's relatively consistent. But he he doesn't. Go down the field. He's not aggressive. He's much more. He's he seems much more comfortable throwing the ball five yards downfield than he does anywhere else. And I and, I, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, it's a steady diet of the short stuff. <laughs> and uh, in a defense of Jared Goff, he doesn't have Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones out there either. He's got Brashad Pyramid, a guy who's on his seventh team in six years, and he's got Tyrell Williams, who hasn't had a thousand yard season since 2016. There's there's just not a lot of verifiable talent especially down the field in this roster. So if he doesn't have guys to throw down the field, I can understand why he's looking at TJ Hawkinson or DeAndre Swift or whoever else in the short field. And that's really what we've seen through now through nine, 10 practices. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. I'm John Heiner here with Eric Culcran. And today we're drinking Kool-Aid, talking Lions. Uh, and, uh, and we're here with Kyle Mikey and Ben Raven, reporters, cover the Lions for him live. I, for God's sakes, I saw the 0-16 team. I can't fathom with a new regime and all, all everything we've done and the first, you know, the draft pick, Penny Sewell, and everything that they're not going to win some game this year. But please toss some optimism the way of the what, what happens if it look, what does it look like, guys, if it goes right this year? Yeah. That's a really good question because, I mean, you have to think about those two first-round draft picks this year and next year for going right. You know, I mean, they're not going to tank. I don't think there's conversations like that in the NFL, but it's just like, I mean, the seal, it's really hard to put a ceiling on this team. I think our early game-by-game predictions, I had them winning three or four games. I, I, the, the offense is going to be bad, and I've had the conversation you just said. The games they're going to win this year are going to be Mark D'Antonio-style one games where it's like 14 <laughs> to 13, and you're like, I'm going to go listen to this on the radio. I can't watch another second of this. There's going to be like 10 of those games this year for fans. Just a heads up. That's my take, but uh, I just, I mean – you want to see that offensive line stay healthy and you need to see that defense take a step in the right direction. I think the best case scenario was Okuda starts to look like a top three. I mean, one of the highest drafted cornerbacks in the last three decades, you know, you need to see that you need to see guys like Tracy Walker, who a year and a half ago, I would have said he was a foundational piece of the future defense in Detroit. You need to see guys like that take a step forward. Julian O'Quara needs to get on the field. I mean, 
the offensive line is the big one, though. If they can build around that offensive line, you get a young quarterback in there, give Goff maybe another year to work with a young quarterback. I mean, it's just all about building the right situation. It's a new GM. It's a new coach. They want to build this roster the right way, and they've got a ton of assets to do it. So ceiling-wise, maybe six or seven wins I'll give them. The best of the best case scenario. Yeah, I agree with everything Ben said. Um, I just have to keep in mind they're building for 2022 and 2023. They were very open about that, saying it pretty directly uh, this offseason. That's why they dealt Stafford for two future first-round picks as opposed to some other deals that were on the table that would have net them more this year. They're they're not playing for this year. They're, I mean, they'll, they'll, they're not tanking. They're going to win as many games as they can, but they're, as an organization, playing for 22 and 23. So you have to look at the players who are in place and the units that are in place that are going to be a part of that future. And that's what I'm... Uh, eager to see uh, the offensive line that Ben mentioned. They're not only good left to right with three first round picks up there, including Sewell, but all those guys are under contract, I think until 2024. Mm-hmm. So that's a unit that has a ton of talent and it's also, it's locked in. I mean, you can keep any of those guys that you want for the foreseeable, uh, including Frank Ragnow is probably the best center in the game or in that conversation. Hawkinson at, at tight end is coming off a pro bowl season. Um, you know, and defensively in the front seven, a couple of defensive tackles, Levi Anwuzarike, which is a mouthful, Lee McNeil, um, and obviously Jeff Okuda, we've already talked about. Uh, some of the problems they'll have this year that I think will hold them back, such as the quarterback play and by extension, the receivers. Um, you know, it's, it is what it is, it is this year. That's, I don't, again, they didn't make those improvements at receiver. Uh, they didn't make those investments at receiver this year. And that group, that group could totally overturn. They, there's not a single guy they signed this year that was longer than a one-year contract. Well, I don't um, so it is what it is. Help me out on this. You can go out. I mean, you can get Antonio Brown for a couple million. He'll he'll jump to your team. I mean, you, there's receivers everywhere. But if you're building a new culture and trying to set a new tone and you bring in a guy with the track record that, that guy has for in the locker room, the antics on the field and everything else, uh, off the field, obviously, run-ins with the law. I, I don't know if that's really a fit for it. I didn't mean him literally. I meant – but yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Wide receivers are divas, right? I mean, there's some who, like Larry Fitzgerald, are, you know, have work ethic and they're humble and stuff, but – I, the question, and maybe you've just answered it, is it's like, why not go out and spend two million bucks for a year or five million for a year and get a, a deep threat or somebody, you know, yeah. even if you're renting them? It was just mostly cultural. That's what you're saying. Yeah. But to your point, I, I agree with you. That's I like to plan the lines to put in place and set in motion. And I like so many of the moves they've done this year. They've improved the roster and the culture and they've set themselves up with two future first round picks to go out there and get blue trip kind of players that, that you need to win at a high level to complement this roster. Um, the big question I, I don't, you know, the big thing I don't understand is, is you traded for Jared Goff. You talk about him being the guy this year and that you believe in him and you can turn around his career, but then you give him Rashad Pyramid and Tyrell Williams to play with. And I, I guess I don't really understand that because it's not really setting up Jared Goff for success. There was a, a, a football team up by uh, Saginaw that won state championships and all they ran was like the wing tee. And, and they had a T-shirt that said, uh, you know we're going to run it. We know you're going to run it. You can't stop us. And that sounds like the Lions office, <laughs> except for the last part. <laughs> so, um, hey, my last pot, this might seem like to our, our behind the headlines listeners, like a like kind of a jarring a topical switch. But last week's uh, podcast was on COVID. Well, I don't think it's that far of a leap because I think it's some really interesting stuff happening in NFL and NCAA in regards to 
um, you know, COVID uh, vaccinations, the testing and a couple of the coaches like uh, in Minnesota and I'm trying to remember where else, maybe it's Kansas City or somewhere. But the coaches come to the podium and say, I don't know what's happening. You know, yeah. these guys are driving me crazy. They why won't they get vaccinated? Because we're talking about potential forfeits, which how do you even put a dollar figure on a, a loss in the NFL? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's just, it's, I mean, a lot of players are, I mean, not in Detroit. We haven't really heard that. I mean, Taylor Decker was the most prominent name to say that he wasn't going to get vaccinated. And then the first time we talked to him, he just said, I got vaccinated and I don't really want to talk about it. So <laughs> it's just kind of like, I, I think, uh, I mean, Dan Campbell has been pretty open and honest with, I think their entire staff has been vaccinated, right, Kyle, since uh, OTAs, right? So, I mean, he was on it. And I think the last update we had was, uh, the lines were over 80%. So, I mean, that's got to be among the better numbers in the league. It's No, it's been a fascinating thing to watch. And it's been Mike Zimmer in Minnesota basically saying, oh, you want to know who's not vaccinated? Reporters, come on early and sit in the parking lot. You'll see them. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just, I guess I wasn't asking so much about the Lions, just the, in general this season. Yeah, that whole, you know, my column last week was just this frustration about we we could be farther down the road as a society um, where we're not talking about remasking and distancing and all this, but it looks like America's not going to play along. You know, it's going to be a difficult road to hoe. What are the chances that we're going to see disruption in the NFL this year, uh, forfeited games, things of that nature? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's hard to predict the future with COVID, but just to your point, John, I, I find what's uh, unfolding in the NFL COVID wise, I, I really find it to be a microcosm of where America is with regard to the virus and, and vaccination, you got all the information out there that people need on how safe they are and effective they are. And then you still have people saying, uh, who live in a totally different information ecosystem saying, you know, the science says they're not effective and all these other kind of myths about the vaccine. And you're hearing it from players and, and, and we've seen it uh, a little bit. Um, I think Minnesota is really interesting example. You have Kirk Cousins going up there former Michigan State quarterback and saying, I'm going to do everything I have to do to, to keep myself safe from COVID. But at the same time, he's also not vaccinated and he's not doing the one thing that's the safest, easiest, most efficient way to protect yourself from COVID, which obviously has health implications. But as it relates to football, it also has serious implications this year if you're starting quarterback can't play in a game. And Kirk Cousins has now missed more practices than he's played in training camp because uh, he was on the COVID list. And that obviously has major implications when your backups are what Minnesota has. And uh, it's just, you know, he was asked um, about why he was making that decision. And and he didn't really say too much about it, but he said he was doing his own research about it. Uh, And then he was asked, have you talked to Alan Stills, who's the top doctor uh, in the NFL, who had just gone to Minnesota um, a a couple of weeks prior? And Kirk Cousins is like, no. So they have these NFL teams have amazing resources at their disposal, massive amounts of money, the top doctors. And I know the Lions brought in some doctors to talk to their guys to convince them to take the vaccine. But then you still have guys with uh, who are repeating massive amounts of in- misinformation as reasons for not getting vaccinated. And it's all the stuff we all see playing out culturally right now in the U.S., right, uh, in person, on social media and, and everything else. Well, it's interesting. I know the answer to this question, by the way, it's, but you guys can't enter the building unless you're vaccinated, but 20% of the Lions players can. Um, I know that there's a players union and some some other things that are that are involved in that. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you, Kyle. I think this is a snapshot of America. And you know, I, I'm going to do a little side vent here. It's not on football, 
Bryson DeChambeau was in a press conference the other day. He's got COVID. Uh, he got kicked off the Olympic squad because he had, he caught COVID. And they asked him about it. He says, you know, I'm good. You know, I, I don't want to take a dose away from somebody else. I'll let somebody else have my dose. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, dude. It's like, right. That, you go in <laughs> right now and get a shot, man. It's, it's, and they won't even charge you. You're a millionaire. You can get it for free. Yeah. And, and you know, it's same thing where he's saying, you know, I, I, you know, I'm doing my research on it sort of thing. And, you know, uh, I guess as long as he's not hurting somebody else, but you know, John Rahm, the golfer, he he was uh, six, six strokes up in a golf tournament this year after three rounds. Yeah, I saw that. And, mm-hmm. and he lost like two million bucks because he got COVID and then he gets COVID again uh, and he gets kicked off the Spain's Olympic team. So, you know, these guys are public figures. And it's just like when you know, like Trump was being coy and wouldn't wear a mask and stuff. It's just the good that can be done if people would get with the program. But I, I, anyways, I'll get off my soapbox here. Um, but it, I, it's just a head scratcher for me when I see what's happening in Minnesota. And I just think that's going to end up bad. Um, so uh, what about you guys and coming back into work, getting back in the field, getting in front of players? Um, your, one of your colleagues, Aaron McMahon, sent out a, a, one of his subtext account texts today that said, you know, it was in person. He put all cap <laughs> that he had a presser in person. So how, how's it different this year? And what did, we, what did you learn from the last year, guys? Oh, different. I mean, we're walking in and it feels like we don't know many of these players. I mean, it's a roster turnover. We haven't been in person since uh, the Combine, February 2020, since before this last week, pretty much outside of games. I mean, it's refreshing. It's great to be in front of the players again. You can talk to them on the side and feel like you can actually you get out of that like uh, orchestrated scrum environment or the press conference environment again. And it's just more options for us. It's more open. There's it's just been great. It's felt great. I mean, uh, it's been really exciting. It's been tiring to get out of the house every day again, but it's been the way, to, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just like last year was tough, but at the same time, it's like we were home like the whole time it felt like. So it's just like a completely different world. You're going from at the facility every day to home every day to back at the facility every day. And I know which way I'd rather have it. And we're currently doing it for sure, but it's going to take a minute to get used to no matter how happy I am to have it. How about you, Cal? Yeah, it's different in pretty much every way. It's it's better, you know. It's it's one thing to have Dan Campbell screaming about kneecaps in your laptop, but it's a different thing to be in the room with him and uh, to begin to develop that relationship. And uh, I think Ben touched on it, but that, I guess maybe the with the mechanics of our job, like you can still do the job remotely. You know, I, I think quantity-wise, more or less, we produced what we were going to with that kind of season, uh, you know, virtual or not. The difference is being able to develop relationships with these people, because when you're having a very like orchestrated sort of like interaction with them virtually most of the time with many other reporters, it's a totally different experience than uh, waiting next to the locker room door and catching guys like Tyrell Williams uh, fractured his or uh, dislocated his pinky the other day. And he's coming off the field and I just grabbed him real fast and talked about it and I could see the splint I was able to provide some color in my story about like what he was actually doing to, to practice through that. And then we BS a little bit about Calvin Johnson and some other things. And like, that's a solid interaction. Like he's going to remember me the next time that I see him. Um, you know, last year, I don't think DeAndre Swift even know who I was because 100% of the interactions I ever had with him was with like 30 other people. Um, and that's a hard thing when you're a reporter, especially in sports, you're really competitive and you have a lot of people that you are competing with um, for, you know, for stories and stuff. And, 
when you're getting all the same stuff, it's hard. And and uh, it's happy. I'm happy to see a return to more a more humane way to do the job, where you're developing these relationships and hopefully building toward you know something better. Yeah, and not football, not training camp, but I mean, something Ben said um, in the past three weeks or so. I've gotten back on the road, visited some of our cities and hubs, uh, been to Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Lansing. Obviously, I'm, I'm near Ann Arbor, but the, the first road trip I took, didn't spend all night and all this, it's like it was a different kind of draining. It was um, being in front of people, the human part of that, which is uh, we're social animals and it's good for us, but it takes a different depth of emotional you've got to be present and you got to be you know and it's a different kind of commitment to the to the conversation and the, you know being in a room with people and all that and it just i could tell i was out of social shape yeah. <laughs> i was exhausted at the end of the of a couple of days of travel i was pretty exhausted by it so yeah. i i hear you virtual was was easier in some ways I, also i had to find pants that fit when i got back out on the roads so. That is a big difference for me is just wearing pants every day, you know. That's <laughs> I got to get back in game shape, man. I, I reported out of shape. <laughs> hey, I, I really appreciate it. Be, on, let's on an ending note here. Give uh, give us fans, and I'll count myself among them, a reason for optimism uh, or, or to be happy about this season. I, mine is that I don't have to watch a coach with a pencil behind his ear, but I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over, Kyle. Why should we be? Why should a fan be optimistic this year? Well, I think uh, major strides from the defense. It, they allowed the second most points ever in NFL history last year. It was that game over, I think it was around Christmas time, when they played the Buccaneers. And I actually rewatched this film because I'm a masochist at some point this offseason. It was the most lopsided game I've ever seen in my whole life in terms of talent. I mean, Tom Brady could have played with his eyes closed and, and still won that game. And I, I, I don't think I'm joking when I say that. Uh, it's obscene what they did defensively. And we've seen a lot of growth in camp. A lot of players, new players coming in who are good. Also, players who are returning or showing growth with a coaching staff that's putting more confidence in them and, and letting them letting them be them. Yeah, I'll go from on the field to off the field. There's two future first round picks this year. There's two future first round picks next year. I mean, we had a conversation. There was a national writer and Kevin Clark with the ringer and he was asking, who's the most famous lion? We've been having this debut for a couple of days. Uh, and it's like, it's either Dan Campbell, Deuce Daly, Aaron Glenn, or Jared Goff. So it's like, I mean, there's a chance to add some blue chip talent here in the future. Two first round picks is huge. I mean, it's going to look like a different team. And like Kyle said, the defense is – feel the most optimistic about how that defense is going to look. Feel optimistic about how that offensive line is going to look because that, I mean, Frank Ragnall, Taylor Decker, and Sewell, I mean, that is a trio right there that the rest of the league should be jealous of, and they're all locked up. They're all locked up. And uh, I, I think that's reason for a lot of optimism right there because DeAndre Swift does have a lot of potential if he can stay on the field. And they've gave him that – I mean, they've got the right coaches for it, it seems like. I mean, Anthony Lynn has done a lot with running backs and running games before. I mean, there's reason for optimism there. But the main reason, there should be some blue-chip talent on the way. I mean, this team needs stars. They've needed stars for the last couple of years outside of Matthew Stafford. And, you know, they had to get rid of them to get the path to new stars anyway. So it's a little interesting there. But, uh, you know, I'm with Kyle. I mean, the way this thing is going, there's reason to feel optimism bar none about the way this thing is going so far. Awesome. I love ending it on a high note. Thanks, guys, for the great work you're doing in camp. Uh, excited about the season. I'm glad you guys are back in person, and I'm glad you're representing them live. Thanks so much for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having us, John. It's always, always nice catching up. 
Absolutely. And there they go. Huge thanks to Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey for joining us today. As always, if you like what we're doing, comment, share, and review wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkern, and this is Behind the Headlines.